They might talk about stretching a taunt fabric or uh, stretching a rope taunt. It's not taunt, it's taut. Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage Podcast. I'm here with Paul Bryans, author of the Common Errors in English Usage website and book. I'm the editor of that book and host of this weekly podcast, Tom Sumner. Hello, Paul. Hi, Tom. Paul, we've talked about medical terms before uh, when we talked about historical terms. Do you remember that series of podcasts? Oh, yeah. One of my favorites. <laughs> If you listen to occasional podcasts of this and you haven't heard that one, you should go back. It's much more fun than it sounds like. Right. Yeah. These are terms for diseases, disease names from history um, that have sometimes they became different names. They got recategorized or redefined uh, more specific. And sometimes they just went away entirely because they realized yeah, it's not really an illness. <laughs> you know? But uh we have some medical terms that are contemporary that can often be confused. And some of these show up in the Common Errors book. Some of them don't, but they're worth discussing. Uh, shall we just plow right in and get going on these? Okay. So uh, we have this term refills and renewals. This relates to prescription drugs. Right. And this can be mystifying. Yeah, some drugs you take for just a short time, you don't worry about this. But others that you may be on for a longer period, um, when you run out, you have to refill the prescription by going back to the pharmacy and getting another batch. Uh, some people sign up for plans where there are automatic refills, sometimes sent by mail. Um, that's one way to do it. There are all kinds of things, but it's important if the drug is really important to you to keep on top of it and know when you're running low so you can get your refill in advance. Sometimes the pharmacy won't have on hand the pills you need or they're going to be closed for a holiday or whatever. So it's something to pay close attention to. The renewals, I think a lot of us tend to get these two mixed up with each other, but the renewal is very different. Usually, your insurance will limit how long uh, the prescription can be refilled, although often it's the doctors as well saying that. But if you're on some maintenance drug that you're going to have to take the rest of your life, you're still going to have to get it periodically renewed, if only once a year. I have one very minor kind of prescription, which I use a tiny, tiny bit of. And I have plenty of refills allowed, but I actually use so little that at the end of the year, the next time I need some more, I have to get a renewal because it lasted me for a whole year. But renewals can be real pain. And if you're planning a trip, uh, traveling abroad especially, you got to make sure in advance that all of your prescriptions are up to date and that you're not going to need a renewal while you're gone. That can be a real hassle. You can do it by phone sometimes, but again, it just depends. You usually have to go back to the doctor to get the okay. Say the doctor has gone on vacation. Uh, it depends on what kind of network you're in, uh, whether that's easy to contact them or not. Uh, there can be all kinds of delays and confusions and stuff. Uh, although refills are usually pretty straightforward, a renewal can be complicated. In some cases, it requires you to go and see the doctor again to get it, the condition checked on. So you have to allow more time. 
And a lot of us don't always do that. When you look on the label, it'll say number of refills is zero. Then, you know, okay, this is one where I'm going to need to get a renewal. And that means thinking about it and planning for it well in advance. I'm not saying that from a point of view of bragging because I've made this mistake myself and been caught in bad situations where I couldn't get the renewal right away. Right. This is an error where it's not going to be one of those, oh, the picky usage expert is, uh, oh, you said redo. I think you meant refill. You know, I don't think that's really the issue here, but you really need to know how the system works because uh, you need to take note. I think on your prescription label, you'll see refills remaining. There will be a certain number there. Right. Mm -hmm. And if that number dwindles down to one or zero, you need to be aware that you could be up for a renewal next time, not a refill. And that's going to be more involved. This has been a problem sometimes for me. And if I get a medication, which is enclosed in a box and the container itself is too small for the label. So they put the label on the box. Well, typically you open the box, you discard it, use the medicine. Oops, the label's gone. You don't have that record. Yeah. So I've taken to carefully peeling the label off the box and sticking it on the tube of cream or whatever it is. But yeah, that's something else to look out for. Right. So you've got to know how the system works. But uh, if you accidentally make a slip of the tongue and say, well, I need to go down and renew my prescription with the pharmacist, I don't think anybody's going to be sitting there tittering like, Woo-hoo, you meant to say refill. Um, but what about, uh, let's dive into another term here that's commonly confused, or maybe it's another one of those where you got to know how the system works in a way. And that is accessible versus guaranteed care. Now, we talked about this a little bit. We talked about how the word accessible gets used when we were talking about our healthcare insurance terms, that whole series of podcasts. But uh, this accessible versus guaranteed care, what are we talking about there? I think I did mention this a bit earlier, but uh, during the more recent debates under Trump of uh, reform, which for a while were being called Trump care, which is two words that just don't belong together. (laughs) But um, the Republicans under Paul Ryan's leadership were uh, using the term accessible a lot, saying we want to make sure that health care is accessible under our law. And that is a word which is used deliberately to mislead. It didn't seem to mean anything much except that, well, if you've got enough money and you really feel like doing it and there are doctors around that are willing to provide it, you'll have access to it. We're not going to forbid you to go to the doctor and pay for it. And that's all it meant. But they made it sound as if this were better than, you know, government health care insurance, which would restrict you and all this stuff. The Affordable Care Act is the one that made accessibility. It means everybody gets insurance. Everybody gets medical care. And that's the real accessibility. But by the usage of this term accessible in politics, it was really I don't know how many people it fooled. The popularity of their bills was very, very low. So I don't think it fooled many people, but it was an annoying political dodge. Right. And, of course, the the ideal would be have guaranteed care for everyone. That would be the ideal. Yes. If you hear a politician talking about accessible care, what they mean is, sure, if you've got the dough, you can go see whatever doctor you want to. You're not guaranteed any coverage for what you need. Right. 
you may have a need to go to the doctor in an emergency and there's these confusing terms emergency room versus urgent care which one's which how does that work emergency room is typically in a hospital and under law they have to treat people who come in there. And we've talked before about how this has caused problems for the insurance industry and so on, because a lot of poor people who don't have insurance would head for the emergency room. And that's one thing the ACA really has succeeded in, is uh, lowering the amount of abuse of the emergency room. But urgent care facilities are often private companies and sometimes run by insurance companies by uh, sometimes their extensions of hospitals and uh, they're a place you can go for in an emergency there are more of them and they may be closer to you than a hospital uh, for instance here on Bainbridge Island we have no hospital we have two urgent care facilities for a while we had three so if you, you know, break a bone or have a bad gash, I cut myself with a knife when I was washing the dishes one time. I had to go to urgent care and get sewn up. Um, but they vary a lot. They are not required to treat everything. In fact, will refuse to treat certain things that they think are beyond their scope. Um, they often don't have nearly as much diagnostic equipment. And they may not be open all the time. For a while, we had a 24-hour urgent care here. And the group that was running it decided they just couldn't make money on it. There weren't enough middle-of-the-night emergencies. And so now... Uh, you have something happen on Sunday night or early Tuesday morning in the middle of the night. Um, there is no urgent care available right here. So it's good to know ahead of time what is available in your area. What are the various options? What will your insurance pay for? What do they offer? And something about their reputation, finding out whether people have been generally pleased with them. And then where's the nearest emergency room if you need that? Um, urgent care can be extremely handy if you have something that's not really life-threatening, but it's close by. It can be much faster. Um, I once went to the emergency room where the whole thing from being told you should go to the emergency room, uh, it required about an hour's drive plus maybe two and a half hours of waiting in the emergency room. Mm. And that's not a pleasant experience. So urgent care can be a really good alternative if it suits what you've got. Now, if your emergency is such that it's true emergency, probably you should call 911 and tell them what you've got. And they'll make a recommendation. And typically, they'll send out an emergency medical technician and EMT. And they'll look at you and say, okay, you should go to urgent care. That's what they got me to urgent care the time I went. Um, or they would say, okay, we got to take you to an emergency room. Um, did I talk about helicopter transport earlier? I don't believe so, no. Okay, so this is kind of specialized. We live on an island. This island is not cut off from everything. There's a bridge at one end of it that goes across the Kitsap Peninsula where there are a couple of hospitals. But they're a long way away. And across the water by ferry, you can get to uh, really top-notch medical care. Major hospitals up on part of First Hill is called Pill Hill because there are so many hospitals there. And this is in Seattle. In Seattle, right. And so a lot of people would prefer to go to those emergency rooms. And if your emergency is not really dire or 
nothing can happen. You can get into a, an ambulance and be taken onto the ferry. You get to the head of the line. And there have been some cases recently where they actually ran the ferry early and left people who were waiting in line wanting to get on to commute just to make sure that the patient got to the hospital on time. But another option is a helicopter ride. Medical helicopter rides are incredibly expensive. Mm. They can easily bankrupt you, and they can get up to the $20,000, $30,000. It just depends on the company. Some of them are extortionate. But it can be agonizing to have to make that decision. And so some people were discussing on Facebook, well, there's companies that are offering helicopter insurance. So as a separate thing that you could get just in case. And of course, the problem is it has to be certified by a physician or an EMT or somebody that you actually needed it before you qualify for coverage under this. So I got concerned about it. Well, maybe that's something we should have. And I called up our insurance company and say, oh, your insurance already covers helicopter. And, And what it says is that you will be transported to the nearest emergency room well in our case the nearest one is across the water (laughs) (laughs) Um, but again they don't encourage you to take a helicopter for everything but if you have something like you know a severe heart attack or something would be real real typical and whenever we see helicopters flying over our little island most of the time we'll look up and say oh somebody's really sick Uh uh-huh well these terms so far emergency room versus urgent care and um, accessible care versus guaranteed care, refills versus renewals. Those are all terms that if you get them wrong in your usage, nobody's going to squawk or nitpick about those things because, uh, you know, oh, I broke my arm. I had to go to the emergency room. Well, what if you went to technically an urgent care facility? I mean, is that really a huge, such a huge mistake? The big point is you broke your arm. But uh, how about this one? There's emergent versus emergency. And I think people like to think they're sounding really smart saying emergent. Yeah. Yeah. And this is in the book, isn't it? Right. This is one that I ran into by hearing from a medical transcriptionist. And these are people that uh, I actually spoke to a group of them once about medical terms and others. They had me speak at their conference. Uh, Medical transcriptionists are often bothered by the things that doctors say, the language that they fall into. And it has become common in the medical profession to refer to emergent as an adjective, as uh, you need emergent care, as an emergent condition, and so on. Now, in ordinary English, emergent means it's just emerging, it's just beginning. It's probably minor, it might grow into something worse or something better, but it's an emerging idea, an emerging um, art form, an emerging condition ought to be the same thing. And instead of saying emergency, which means treat it now, they're using the term emergent, which implies, well, let's uh, wait a little while and see how this develops. So I, I consider it an error, but you can see it actually inscribed on the walls of uh, medical facilities, sometimes you know, emergent care facility or something. Mm. Yeah, it's a real pain. So it, it's really unfortunate that that's emerged. Well, emergent has its own meaning, as you say. Emerging markets could be said to be emergent sure. art forms. It has its own meaning. So for it to be co-opted into this sense of emergency, it kind of 
deprives emergent of its place. <laughs> so I could see complaining about that usage. Another one that I got from the medical transcriptionist was taunt versus taught. Yeah. And actually, this might have come from a court reporter. What do they call them? The people who take the transcription down of what's going on in the court? I think you may have it right. A court reporter. Yeah. So a court reporter. And I've heard from court reporters, too, um, because police are always saying things that are not really correct and can cause legal problems later. But um the uh, medical transcriptionists were saying that doctors were referring to the patient who had a swollen belly as having a taunt abdomen. Mm. Mm. You don't have a taunt abdomen with an N in it. It's taut. Taut means tight and swollen. Mm -hmm. If it's distended, it's taut, not taunt. You know, somebody might tease you about your bulging stomach, but that's the other person's doing the taunt in that case. Mm-hmm. Well, it reminds me a little bit of the confusion between titillate and tintillate. Uh -huh. Have we talked about this on the podcast before? Tintintabulation, yeah, is the ringing of the bells, bells, bells. Right, yeah. And uh, people like to throw the extra N in there for titillate also and make it tintillate because I think they're feeling a little sheepish about using the word titillate. Because of the because of tit, yeah. Yes, exactly. I heard someone correct us, someone else who had said tintillate once. He says, "Well, first of all, it's titillate, not tintillate. Everyone knows it's got everything to do with tits and nothing to do with tint." <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Um, uh, so that's taunt versus taught. Yeah, and you can get the reverse as well. This isn't medical. Uh, when people are writing about interior decorating or sailing or something, they might talk about stretching a taunt fabric or uh, stretching a rope taunt. It's not taunt. It's taut. Right. Yeah. Ropes and fabric are pulled taut. So all of this should be taut, not taunt. Taunt is to mock or make fun of somebody. Taut you could think of as tight, and that might help you remember there's no N in it. Yeah. Uh, how about dementia versus Alzheimer's disease? And in the book, you have Alzheimer's disease versus old timer's disease, which I'm not sure if that's an actual error that people make or if they're just trying to making some weak attempt at humor or something. I'm not sure. I wasn't sure at first. I thought it was a joke. And then I found, no, there were actual reports of people who misheard it and thought that the term was old timer's disease. Uh, you do hear it. People use jokingly. Um, people who are having some momentary mental slips like themselves saying, well, I guess I got that was some old timer's disease. But uh, Alzheimer's disease is a specific form of dementia. There are a lot of different forms of dementia. Uh, one of the worst in terms of not being necessary to happen, not being inevitable, is dementia caused by drug overdoses or drug conflicts where the prescriptions are actually causing the mental difficulties. And that's something always to be checked out by a physician when a person is having mental problems, but they're on a lot of medications. Um, there are other forms of aging in the brain, and it's required in the past to actual test after the patient has died to find out, well, after all, that was Alzheimer's. 
Not that it matters a lot. People will often speak of somebody as having Alzheimer's when all they've really been diagnosed by is dementia of some kind. Can't be sure that it's going to be Alzheimer's. Um, and it doesn't matter a lot to the individual person. Now, if we ever came up with a really effective treatment for Alzheimer's, then it could begin to matter a lot. Then we need to be able to diagnose it to give the proper treatment. Um, but so far, the treatments that have been put forward are, are pretty minor. And there are things like, you know, that people were saying, oh, do crossword puzzles, learn new things and so on. Well, it may well be that these things that people are telling you to do to keep your memory are really just symptomatic of people who tend to hang on to their memory better rather than causing them to hang on to it better. If you know a lot to begin with and you begin to lose some of your abilities, you'll still have some left if you had a lot going on already. If you didn't have that much to lose, then the dementia could progress more quickly, uh, not because you failed to do your mental exercises, but because you just had less stored information and connections in your brain to begin with. So that's kind of discouraging, but that is what some scientists are arguing these days. I see. Yeah. The finding that people who were fat uh, might survive some emergencies better than people who were more trim because they had more to fall back on. And somebody says old-timers disease instead of Alzheimer's, and it's a legitimate error on their part, then that would be an acorn, wouldn't it? Yes, an acorn, right. We've talked about acorns before. Yeah. Uh, okay, so here's one. You'll have to educate me on this. What is the difference between a heart attack versus sudden cardiac arrest? This is something that's important to know only if a physician or other medical person is talking to you and telling you which you or your loved one has had. Uh, in ordinary speech, we use the term heart attack for all kinds of heart problems. Uh, but um, I've got this written down now from an authoritative source, so I'm not going to try to wing it here. Um, you know, a heart attack is this old-fashioned term, which is still a legitimate medical term. But in a heart attack, defined strictly, the blood flow to the heart is blocked, usually by narrowed arteries, often causing damage to the heart muscle. It's a circulation problem. So your blood is not flowing properly. In sudden cardiac arrest, the heart itself malfunctions and stops beating unexpectedly. It's a problem in the body's electrical system. So a sudden cardiac arrest, or SCA, can occur after a heart attack, but they're not the same thing. They can be combined. So if you're just chatting with somebody else, it's not important to know. But if somebody is talking to you saying, okay, you're at risk for one or the other of these, you need to know which one it is and how it's treated and what the symptoms are and so on. My understanding is that narrowed arteries that cause a heart attack, that whole series of events is much better understood, wouldn't it be, than the body's electrical system? Yes. Aren't we really only at the very beginnings of starting to even think about the body's electrical system, much less studied as carefully and as thoroughly as we've studied the arterial system? And it certainly hasn't been treated as well. No. You know, a, a pacemaker can be a treatment for SEA, but that's not something you can do at the drop of a hat. Now, I just used the term arterial system in a kind of a wide range. I was in my head. I had a wide ranging sense of all of the blood flow throughout the body. But 
we should talk about artery versus vein also. Those are actually two different things. Yes. Arteries carry oxygenated blood from the heart to other parts of the body. The veins carry the oxygen, poor blood, back to the heart. And the bridge between the two and the other areas of the body away from the heart consists of the capillaries, very fine vessels that allow the veins to carry the blood back to the heart. The whole area is what people are referring to when they say, well, you know, watch your diet. Don't eat too much processed food, not too many fats, not too much saturated fat, certainly, and so on. Uh, this is relating to the entire system of artery, vein, and capillaries, because you want to have a good flow in all of the areas. You want the best possible blood flow that you can get. Right, and um, they look different as well. Yeah, knowing the difference between arteries and veins can be very useful. Mm -hmm. How about a fracture versus a sprain versus a strain? Well, most people know a, a fracture is a broken bone. Yeah. So, you know, a crack, you know, a loud snap. You know, people break their bones in all kinds of adventurous ways, sometimes skiing or uh, falling off a ladder or whatever. When I went to the go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and in the dark uh, missed my aim and walked into a wall, hmm. breaking my little toe uh. <laughs> upward. The treatment for when I went to the doctor, what he said, just limp. <laughs> just limp. <laughs> so it's not one of those stories where you get people to write get well wishes on your cast and, and get to tell your great adventure of how you broke your toe. But anyway, so that's a fracture. Um, if you stretch or tear a ligament, you have a sprain. And sprains can be really a pain, literally and figuratively. Ligaments can take a long time to heal up, but are not as bad as tendons, especially common in ankles and wrists. If you stretch or tear a muscle or tendon, you have a strain. And, uh <laughs> Tendons are the worst. Mm. Well, I don't know. Having suffered from tendon injury, I can tell you that a strained tendon is much harder to deal with than a strained muscle. I see. Yeah. Tendons are just very slow to heal themselves. Yeah. That's a fine line between a sprain and a strain. I'm not sure people would know whether they have one or the other when they feel it, right? If your doctor sends you to physical therapy, though, you want to make sure that he's using the same language that the physical therapist understands. Yeah, right. And they will, if, but if it's written down. Yes, and a fracture, you would hear a crack or a sound, and uh, that would be an indication of that problem. Well, you may or may not hear the sound. You can get a broken bone without realizing it, but sometimes it can be a scary crack. And uh, speaking of breaks, I'd like to take a break from this topic and pick it up some other time. One medical term versus another that can be confusing. Some other time. Let's talk about more of these, shall we? Okay. Thank you, Paul. It's a long time. That's all for the podcast this week. As usual, you can send your comments and questions to commonerrorspodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support the podcast, buy the book. The Common Errors in English Usage book can be bought online at your favorite online seller at our website, wmjasco.com, with free shipping. 
Thanks for listening.